Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, and welcome to another episode of the Innocence Redeemed Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and today we're going to be talking about dropping pride in the season of Thanksgiving. You know, after doing a lot of thinking, and after being through some rough tests lately of my own, I decided to put this together for you all because this has been a major occurrence that seems to keep taking place. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about suspicions, judgments, pride, unforgiveness, and so on. And I got to thinking that there are so many who may be alone during the holidays due to these type of feuds. Many among believers. Brothers and sisters, that ought not to be. We need to be watching out that we're not becoming resentful. Because if bitterness takes hold, then we're operating in pride and unforgiveness. Thanksgiving, in and of itself, is about giving thanks for one another, but also that which we have in addition to serving. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23-24 through 24 says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. You know, I spoke not long ago, and in fact, I think it was in a recent podcast I did with Glenda where I mentioned when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And to quote what the Lord said to Peter, and this is quoting John chapter 13, verses 16 through 18, I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You know, in other words, Jesus was setting an example. Jesus said, and this is when Jesus was talking about being part of the true vine in John chapter 15. If you look at verse 9, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that verse right there, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Keep that in mind, because I'm going to get more on that later. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. You know, folks, I got to tell you, as I sit here reflecting on recent situations I've had to deal with, there are many Christians who attend church every Sunday. They hear the sermons, they nod, they say amen and agree with what the Lord says, but then forget to put it into practice, especially when it comes to others. And in fact, they turn around and treat others very ugly because they're only thinking of themselves. Remember that James chapter 1 Verses 22 through 25 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You know, those verses quoted, can I just be frank here, that... There are many, not all, but many 
who sit alone on Thanksgiving and Christmas even because of falling outs with family and friends. And let's be real here, it's usually over something stupid. Now, there's those who choose to be alone, but then there's others who are alone, not by their own will. You know, as true believers in the faith, we need to learn how to come to agreement and forgive faults. Otherwise, we risk hanging separate in what comes, guys. I mean, that's just the bottom line. This isn't just about a holiday. Because once everyone goes home, when all the decor is put away, what's left is a spiritual void if we don't get this right. That is a matter of what's in your heart. And when you stop and think about it, every day ought to be Thanksgiving, at least as it concerns others. You know, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. I've quoted this verse several times before, and I'm going to quote it again. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You know, that verse mentioned, the way in which I'm going to present this podcast today is going to be as it applies to serving others as though you were serving the Lord. Those three verses from Galatians 6 are about what you sow in the lives of others, specifically brethren. But it could even be those the Lord's desiring to reach. What you will reap is what you plant. If you plant very little, or in other words, become selfish, then you can rest assured God knows how to pay that back accordingly. Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down the timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You know, what if I told you in those verses, brothers and sisters, that the Lord is not referring specifically to a building? If you're not building someone up when you know what they're going through, if you refuse to help because it's too hard or assume someone else will do it, how is that helping to build up the body of Christ, his temple? If you know someone is walking through a rough season, and you help them, you will be rewarded later. If you refuse because you simply don't want to make the time and you're only thinking about yourself, remember that God has no problem putting you into a similar situation to show you a thing or two. And let me tell you, having been through that personally in the past, that will not be pleasant. Please hear me out on this because recently I was in prayer and what I was shown is that many of the people and blessings that some have now are going to be taken away. That could be family, that could be friends, it could be monetary. Honestly, I believe it's all the above from what I was seeing in spirit. Many are going to be going into an intense refining. Why? Because either the believer was careless with someone the Lord placed in their life, or was not a good steward of the blessings they were entrusted with. And as such, that took down the temple a notch instead of helping to build it. The temple, when you step back and look at it, it's us. And God does not smile upon us when we are self-serving because that does not help build up his body. And 
to a greater degree, that does not help lead people into the spiritual arc, which we should be doing right now as best as we can. We're supposed to be working while it's still light, while there is still a trace of light in this world. We're supposed to be doing his will, the Lord's will. And, you know, we can look at Luke chapter 16 when Jesus was giving the parable of the shrewd manager who was dishonest. Starting on verse 10, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? And by the way, things can be people too, not just money. A person may have been placed in your life for a specific reason, and if you were careless and a poor steward, they will be removed and you'll be shown the error in your way. And this isn't something to play with, for Jesus told us to be ready at any hour. You know, to put it into context, what will Jesus find when he returns for his bride? Does anybody ever stop to think about it in that context? Let's take a look at Matthew 24. When Jesus spoke of the future, he laid this out specifically in verses 44 through 51. Starting on verse 44, you also must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, Jesus is not just referring to your own dwelling. And he is not just referring to food either that you eat. He's referring to feeding them spiritually as well. Going on in verse 46, if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? Or another way to put that is just being aloof and careless when it comes to personal responsibility. Going on in verse 50, the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but that place doesn't sound like anywhere I would want to be shown nor visit, but many are on the wrong path and don't even realize it. That's how blinded they are. It is their sin that blinds them even though they think they can see. And let me just tell you, we're all servants to a degree, all of us. Some have more important responsibilities than others, but remember, we all serve the body as different parts of the body. And if the body develops cancer, it can be grafted out. And that right there is in reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the vine, which is referenced in Romans chapter 11. And so, yes, it is a very big deal. I'm going to shine light on this when it comes to what a true friend is, because I think that's a big one as we approach Thanksgiving and Christmas, both being seasons of giving, stewardship, and tidings. You know, one of many Christmas songs people like is Tidings of Comfort and Joy. So when you sing that, or you're going about your business, maybe baking cookies or whatever, and you're singing that, let's say you have a holiday station on and it comes on, what is a tiding? 
A tithing is sharing of the good news and sharing in the joy. That is fellowship as Christians in Jesus. We're sharing in the faith. We're sharing the good news. So if we're infighting over trivialities, and we're not even thinking about the lone individual or group of individuals sitting by themselves, then how are we representing the Lord sharing in the good news and lifting one another's spirits up? Do you think he sees himself in us when we act that way? How can we say we're in faith if we can't even put the small commands into practice? What was his greatest command? I just said it a moment ago. The Lord's greatest command was to love one another. There are many sitting alone this holiday season because they were essentially thrown out. Or they might be in an unfortunate situation where they just find themselves alone. This recently happened to me by someone I trusted dearly over a disagreement I had with them. And what a disagreement represents when you stop and think about it is an element of pride. Because both sides cannot agree to disagree and come together and make amends. And when there's pride involved, it's certainly not selflessness. It's certainly not being a good steward of the faith and feeding with spiritual food whom that servant was entrusted with. You know, I spoke specifically to some of this in a recent podcast I did with Glinda about the recent string of attacks. And given an already rough season for many, are we forgetting that the enemy isn't going to try to slither in and try to divide and conquer, especially those of us whom are doing the Lord's work? You know, the enemy would love nothing better than for us to be feuding and separated. Think about that. While we're concerned with the trivial, we're missing the opportunity to get lost souls into the proverbial ark. And we're losing out on opportunities to grow and mature. Not to mention we're looking like hypocrites. And the enemy loves it. Because we're not getting the Lord's work done. We need to watch that, especially with the degree of fatigue and wearing down taking place right now of the saints. It's especially important because we don't want to find ourselves cast into a wilderness, which is what I was being shown in spirit. And you know, when it comes to our brethren, some of the best friendships are built on trial and error. They are made stronger as a result. You get to know the other person better when you go through these. And they're also a true test. You know, if we were perfect, if things were perfect, then we would not need a savior. But because of our sinful nature, especially the tongue and elements of pride, we do. If a friendship or fellowship is overall good, why are we allowing a few instances to sour the good things? Proverbs 17, verse 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You know what that means? You can have a friendship with a brethren that has stronger ties than someone in your own family. But that doesn't mean you're not going to walk through adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's what I just got done saying. We have to remember that when there's division, it's Satan that operates in pride and does the dividing. And when two are feuding, it is Satan who is the divider, not the Lord. 
And this is why we're told to keep on the whole armor of God and be vigilant as the enemy roams around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, as believers in fellowship, we ought to be grateful of the good and not focus on bad things. Now, if someone is just straight up wicked constantly, that would borderline an unbeliever, of which we're told not to be unequally yoked. As per 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, which says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? So that right there is for the unbelieving. For believers, we're supposed to forgive one another for our faults. This is what the Lord desires of us. We don't want a root of bitterness rising up or growing down within us. You know, I said it before, that we can be bitter or better. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. That corruption, that's the feuding. You know, Jesus warned us in the last days, and this is quoting Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. We as Christians need to make sure we're not forgetting who we are and who we serve. We have to forgive as Jesus forgave us. We're all sinners. And if we don't think we're guilty, how guilty we really are. Quoting Luke chapter 11, verse 35, make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, because we do not always get the aforementioned in verse 12 right 100% of the time, verse 13 Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. James 5, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And by the way, when we forget that, we are reminded to bring other believers back to the truth. If you fast forward in James chapter 5 to verses 19 through 20, James said, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The truth is love and charity covers a multitude of sins, as stated in the word, quoting 1 Peter 4, verse 8. We do not want to act like prudes when it comes to the true faith. Another word for prude is pride. Seriously, the official definition of prude is one who is excessively concerned with being or appearing to be proper, modest, or righteous. 
You know, essentially all you have to do is replace the you with an I. And there's an old cliche about the word assume also. I won't define what that is today, but, you know, God said, and this is quoting Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Many don't like hearing that, but ladies and gentlemen, that's the truth. There really are those who believe they don't sin when it comes to others, and as a result, they think they're too good to forgive. And we don't want to assume that. We really need to guard our hearts against that pride and keep on that spiritual armor. Satan would like nothing better than for us to be at each other's necks. And in the season many are walking through right now, he'll stop at nothing to get Christians infighting and divided. Why? Because when we're fighting and we're divided, we are not coming together as one body to serve the Lord. And if you think about it, then you're letting the enemy win. You know, that is especially for those of us who are carrying or soon to be carrying out the Lord's work. But it's advice for all of us, because that right there shows you the enemy walks around like that roaring lion I quoted earlier, seeking whom he may devour. We need to mention a few more verses on pride. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In verse 8, I just quoted this a moment ago. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And now when it comes to resentment and anger, Jesus said, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now before I continue, what does reconcile mean? The definition of reconcile means to restore to friendship or harmony, or to settle to resolve. So it's pretty clear what the Lord meant by that. And what does he mean by going and reconciling before offering your prayer? You can't really give thanks for someone if you don't follow the number one rule, which is to show love. And if you're not willing to reconcile, that's certainly not love. That's pride. Jesus gave further examples. Moving on to verse 25. When you are on the way to court, with your adversary. Settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. In other words, as Christians, we should be able to settle our differences without getting the judge involved because he may very well rule in favor of the one who's actually in repentance. If the one who is offended is unwilling and in pride, the judge, the judge being God here, may rule in favor of the one who committed the sin just for the fact that their heart shows intention to do right and reconcile, while the one who is offended holds on to the pride and is in unforgiveness. That is very serious when you stop and think about it. You would want to be forgiven if you slipped up. And let's face it, have we all not slipped up and did the Lord not cleanse us and forgive us? At least in my Bible, 
Jesus did. He's my Savior. He washed away my sins with his blood. You know, I'm going to share a little story with you all, and this is one that is quite personal to me, and not many people know about it. And I'm not sharing this to pat myself on the back and be like, ooh, look at me, or anything like that. Years ago, in the early 2000s, I had a longtime friend that I had known since I was a teenager, and he had developed an opioid problem. He had a problem with taking uh, prescription painkillers recreationally. And he essentially ended up in a situation where he was drifting from place to place. And I hadn't talked to him for a number of years because I got caught up after I got out of high school. I got caught up just establishing my own life, and I hadn't heard from him. And um, he needed a place to go. He had a bad breakup with a girlfriend, and he had his own place, but his lease was running out, and he didn't have anywhere to go. And I took him in, despite his condition. And this guy, you know, he he worked, but he had a problem where he would do these painkillers all the time. And the times he couldn't get them, he would be in a lot of pain and curled up in a ball on the couch. And, you know, it was just a really bad situation. And I let him stay in my apartment for several months, almost a year, if not over a year. And one time I was at work, and I had come home, and I had had a stash of cash um, in my dresser drawers with uh, my jeans and stuff where I'd kept some money in there because I didn't believe in keeping everything in the bank. And he had stolen. I remember I was going to buy something one time and he had stole. It was like a reserve and he had gotten into my money or found it somehow. I don't know if he was just going through my stuff when I wasn't home or what, but he took like over $100 to buy pills with it or buy something he wanted with it. I'm not sure exactly what he did. I never really got to the bottom of it. And Despite all that, I forgave him, and I simply said, you need to get help. And he admitted he needed to get help. And I took him to a detox center, and I was the only one who could sign him out. His parents didn't even know he was there. And I did that for him. And on top of that, took a week off of work and helped him move so he could get away from that area where he knew people to get that and could clean his life up. And he moved hundreds of miles away. I was in... Tampa, Florida at the time, he moved to uh, Jacksonville, and I took a week off to go up there and help him look for a job. And I didn't even know my way around that city. But I did all that, you know, because I loved him as a true friend. And, you know, that's what a true friend is. A true friend sticks by you. And, you know, they give up their lives, essentially, to help someone who they care about. You know, when Jesus said in John 15, verse 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. What do you think he meant by that? He wasn't just talking about giving up your life physically. He was talking about essentially putting everything on hold to help someone. Because verse 12 in John 15 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So most people would not have gone that far. They would not have let someone like that stay with them. They would not have helped them to get their lives back in order. But a lot of people do that, and they don't even ask for anything in return. You know, that is a definition of a true friend. And he did some things to anger me where I almost stopped being his friend, but the point is I persevered. I came through it. Because if I were in that type of situation, I would want that done to me. I would want someone to help me. But so many give up 
because they think, oh, I can't help you or I'm not, I'm, I'm a failure at everything I do. And it's like, and if you haven't ever walked that walk, how do you know? Some of the best friendships, brothers and sisters, are forged in fire. And that means you literally go through hell sometimes with people you love, if you love them. But that is what love is all about, that you would lay down your lives. I've put projects on hold for Innocence Redeemed to be there to support others when they need me. Many people, they dive into their work, they're only concerned about their bottom line. And this is what I'm talking about when it comes to serving others. We need to be very careful about that. Because look at how the Lord looks. He's going he's gonna to look at that like, so you only care about yourself and not this lost sheep over here. Or you only care about your bottom line, but you don't care about that person who's sitting by themselves and who has nobody. While everyone else tossed them aside. And there are a lot of people who have been tossed aside this holiday season. And, you know, it's a, it's a, a sad state of affairs, given the times that we're going into, because we're all being tested right now. And Glenda and I are going to talk more on that in a few weeks. Um, she's got some other projects she's working on. But, you know, I wanted to bring that up. And we need to make sure that we're not becoming prideful. I wanted to read an email that I received from a listener. Because I was uh, heard from a listener, and she wasn't sure what to do about Thanksgiving. And I'm not going to read all of it, because not all of it's about this. But she goes on. A friend of 25 years lives here with me in Texas, with several of her family members who relocated here. She invited me over to her brother's house for Thanksgiving dinner. I love them like my own family, but if I can be honest, they are lukewarm and spiritually unaware. Well, all the things I did for my friend that I just was telling you about, they were spiritually unaware, but they didn't have anybody else. You Sometimes we have to set an example. She goes on in this email, I've had many dreams about war, food shortages, etc. over two years ago. Of course, sharing that I was mocked and laughed at. I constantly pray for them. I thought about going over for Thanksgiving, only for a few hours. But a few hours may turn into six hours. Gatherings usually end with a few tipsy or drunk individuals. Loud, not kid-friendly music, and I'm just not into that anymore. On another note, my original plans were to spend time with my fiancé and his children. He's deployed in West Africa, and we're praying he'll be home in time. I honestly believe and prayed before I heard the podcast about the Lord healing my heart during this holiday season. This year has been battles and strange spirit warfare, but we've overcome by God's grace. Well, sister, that is an understatement. It has been a year of warfare, tests, trials, you name it. It's just been attack. It's been one thing after another in this season. And this is another thing, by the way, during all these, this is another point I want to touch on. We're being tested and we're being shown. The Lord even revealed to me that not only are we being shown patience, he's showing us who's for us and who isn't. But um, the listener asks, would I be wrong not to attend a friend's holiday gathering knowing how their attitude and behavior is? I know the word says iron sharpens iron. May the Lord bless you, Ray. And so I responded that we need to remember to be Christ-like in our dealings with the lukewarm and the spiritually unaware. We need to keep in mind we are to do what's right even if everyone else doesn't. And you've all heard the saying, we are to pray for and bless our enemies. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. 
I know it's hard sometimes depending on the situation, but we wear our armor and be, we have to be ready at all times, whether in or out of season. And I went on to tell her, I believe this Thanksgiving will be an opportunity, while others are sharing in their burdens, for us to share in our hope in the Lord should the opportunity arise. And I said, we have to remember a few things about Jesus. First of all, he dined with sinners. To quote Matthew 9, verses 10 through 12, Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And that right there based upon my own testimony about my friend who had that opioid addiction problem, that's exactly the point. Who else is going to help someone if you or I or anyone else does not step up and do what we're called to do? How are we being the hands and feet of Jesus if we can't even do those basic things? Now granted, there's a cutoff point, but I've known people who will cut somebody off just because Oh, you give me a headache. I just can't deal with this. Oh, it's just drama-free. Oh, I need my drama-free zone. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, you know what? You're going to have a real hard time in what's coming if you can't even do with the basics. You know, Jeremiah 12, verse 5. If racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan? And what that means is if we can't even handle simple things, what are we going to do? When everything starts going down around us and the judgments that are start to be falling this nation. If we can't even lift people up, if we can't even talk to them or try to even talk to them. And I didn't say this to her at the time. I didn't say this to the listener, but, you know, I went through this with a friend recently. Oh, I, I, I'm just nothing, nothing. Nothing I do for you is good enough. And, you know, I, I, I'm not a good enough person. And I feel like I'm a failure at everything I do and blah, blah, blah. It's like I never told you you had to be. I, maybe I just wanted a friend to listen to me. Oh, well, I'm not your friend. If racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? And if you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan? You know, it's... We're going to be coming down, ladies and gentlemen, to a do-or-die situation with a lot of situations and decisions we make. And we're being tested in simple things right now. Because God is raising up his servants to do his end-time will. If we can't even do the basics amongst each other, how are we going to lead the lost into the ark, the people that the Lord desires to save? How are we going to go and prophesy to them? If we have that attitude, we're going to become scared and say, it's too hard. We really need to evaluate our position on these things. But going back to the email and my response, I said, after I read Matthew uh, 9, verses 10 through 12, I quoted Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Though he, he being Jesus, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. In other words, he was selfless. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And let's be honest here. Have most of us laid down our lives for someone else? That's how much Jesus loved us. He laid down his life on that cross and shed his blood 
to cleanse us of our sins. And we can't even give a few hours of our time. And if we can't even do basic things to help somebody out, or we can't even support them or lift them up, that's pathetic. When you stop and think about it, that's pathetic. By the way, I talked about that very point when I did the attacks podcast with Glinda two or three weeks ago. I said, is it wrong to ask for the support of your friends or brethren when you need that? Does the word not tell us to be the hands and feet? Does the word not tell us to do as Jesus did unto us? You know, reality. Think about that this Thanksgiving while you're sitting there in the comforts of your home, of which many don't have, stuffing your face with a meal many don't have, and having fellowship that many don't have. And then I already quoted uh, washing the disciples' feet earlier, but, you know, I shared a personal story. And this one was with my brother, my, my brother in my own household. And this happened last year, actually. Um, You know, we were getting things ready, and... uh. My brother was very nasty to my mom because he was drunk. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I essentially blew my cool. And I told him a thing or two. And I told him, I'm like, if you don't shape up, you're going to need to move out and pre find another place to live. And he proceeded to argue with me. And he even cursed at me. And I got so upset that I began to shake. And I told him right then and there that God was going to judge him for his disrespect toward elders. And I think if I recall correctly, I even called out the demon within him that he couldn't see. And I remember shortly after I went to be by myself and I actually began to break down and cry, you know, in front of the Lord and talk to the Lord because I had even said a few swear words. That's how far he pushed me. And I was shaking because that was the prophetic anointing in me. But it was also that I was trying to keep patience under a lot of stress. You know, I was I was to the point, guys, I was literally saying, like, he can go sit and have Thanksgiving by himself and eat a turkey sandwich. I don't care. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it wore me down so much that I remember crying myself to sleep that night listening to classical music, just trying to calm down. And I really do not listen to classical music. So that shows you if my nerves are on edge, I need to calm down. And I felt in the midst of the tears, the Lord was saying, it's okay, my son, things will work out. And the next morning I woke up and I was determined that despite what my brother did to my mother and what he said to me, that it was Satan trying to bring in the spirit of strife. And I reflected for a moment and I said, how would the Lord handle this? And while I don't consider my brother specifically an enemy, Matthew 5, verses 44 through 55, Jesus said to love your enemies and bless those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Verse 12 says, rejoice and be glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And to remember the prophets of old were persecuted in the same way. Romans 12, verses 18 says, Do all that you can do to live in peace with everyone. Verse 20 says, By doing well, and that is serving, which I was just talking about a moment ago, we will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good. And so when I go back to my testimony, I didn't let Satan win. You know, I made the mashed potatoes and a few other side dishes. And I even prayed in front of my brother that I was thankful for him. And he was sitting across the table from me at dinner. And that's a very big contrast from the day before, considering initially I felt like beating the living daylights out of him when we had our altercation. But you see, 
The moral of the story is, I overcame evil by doing good and blessing him, though he mocked me and said horrible things, and I prayed for him. And the reward for that? That night, I was sitting alone in my bedroom, and the Lord's presence filled me, and I felt so loved. He didn't say anything to me, but what that indicated was he was very pleased in how I handled it in the end. And so I went on to uh, tell this listener, you know, I, I gave, of course, gave this testimony and I said, though it may be displeasing and believe me, I know what you're talking about. Maybe take it to prayer and see if the Lord will show you an opportunity for going. It's not the worst thing that could happen and you may be blessed for doing it. And I said, now, if they begin to get drunk and rambunctious, just tell them that you want to get going and leave. Simple, graceful. And I said, if the Lord gives you discernment not to go, then obviously don't. But, you know, each situation is different. And I said, going forward, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. We need to remember that the Lord is with us in all that we do. And we're going to have to step out of our comfort zone sometimes. So, you know, the moral of the story is we want to drop our pride. We don't want to think that we're too good to serve because we are not greater than our Lord Jesus. We are not greater. We have not laid our lives down like he did, okay? And he forgave us for our many sins, and he ate with the sinners. So remember that, and do not think that you're too good to serve. You know, if you're sitting alone this Thanksgiving, and you're wondering what you can do, start by reaching out to someone online. Sometimes there's forums where people go in because they don't have anybody, and they might be reaching out, and just share, sharing your burdens, which we're told to do. You are never too good to share in your burdens with someone, and you are never too good to help someone. Every little bit helps. And like I said earlier, we're all servants of the Lord. We all serve in one way, whether big or small. And you'll feel better because you'll feel like you made a difference in someone's lives. Sometimes the best thing to do, lonely people, when they pull together, they can accomplish a lot. And remember, where two or more are gathered, there is the presence of the Lord. You're serving that person as if you were talking to the Lord. And remember, he said, you know, in the end, he'll judge. He'll say, you know, you're blessed because, you know, I was hungry and you fed me and I was cold and you gave me a jacket and I was without friends and you comforted me or I was in prison and you came and visited me. These are the things. These are the ABCs. They're basic ones. We need to get those down. And so use it. If you're alone on Thanksgiving or Christmas, use this season to think about how you can serve others. Maybe you can, depending on where you live, you can go serve someone in a, a food kitchen, like a pantry or a soup kitchen, something like that. I've heard stories, Glenda told me a story where she's done that. I've never done that before, but I help in other ways. You know, this is the ministry I do, but there's always something that can be done. Whether you reach out and do something small or, you know, spend time in worship, but try to do something where you're serving others because you'll feel better. You'll feel better about it. And there was actually another podcast I did last year uh, with Glenda and Tom. It was for Thanksgiving where we talked about that very thing. You know, look at ways that you can serve others. Don't be so much about yourself and you'll feel better. I know that when I do things for others, I feel good about myself. That's pleasing to the spirit. And we're supposed to do what's pleasing to the spirit. You know, don't just sit around watching Hallmark movies, eating a bucket of ice cream and crying all day. That's not going to solve anything. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. It doesn't matter. Move forward and do what you know is right in your heart and what you would want done to you. Sit there and reflect. 
when you're by yourself, like sit there and say, okay, I'm by myself. What would I like right now? Well, I would like someone to talk to. I would like, you know, someone to have some degree of fellowship with. Reach out because you might be helping somebody who's in the same situation you are. And something good might come out of it. You never know. You know, if you're able, maybe you can't go serve in a kitchen or something. Maybe you can send a blessing for food or some kind of monetary blessing. You could do something. There's something always that can be done. But, you know, we need to get over our pride, guys. We do need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I pray this holiday season you guys understand that because we don't want to become selfish. We don't want to fail the test of serving. We want to be good stewards with what we're entrusted with. And everything that we need to do that is in the word of God. And that said, my fellow brothers and sisters, I'm going to close this out. It is my prayer that this podcast has been helpful and a blessing to you. Hang in there. Stay vigilant. Be at peace. Thank you for listening. And may Jesus bless you all. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone.